You're listening to The Horseman's Mindset, where we meet to discuss horses, mindset, and mental health as it relates to your horsemanship journey. I'm your host, Ashley Purden, and I want to help you to bridge the gap between where you are now and where you want to be with your horse. I'm going to teach you what it is that separates good horsemen from the rest and how you can grow into that role for your horse. This show consists of my personal opinions and is meant for informational purposes only. Hello, everyone, and welcome back for another episode. I'm starting to get more and more feedback from each of you as I see you around the barn or around the horse world that you are all enjoying the podcast, and I really appreciate those little comments and encouragement. kind of helps keep me going. And I've been really enjoying putting these together for you guys. I just think it's a great way that we can talk about our horsemanship and get to thinking about some things maybe a little bit differently, get outside the box, and uh, get these horses the help that they need in order to live in this human world that we're putting them in constantly. Also, I just wanted to say a quick thank you to a couple of my clients this week that have reached out. And I'm going to try not to tear up here, but I've just had a lot going on in my life um, this last year, and it just seems like it's not slowing down, like on a personal level, just kind of one thing after another. And I've had a few of you reach out to me personally, whether it was in person or through a text message or a phone call, and just tell me how much you appreciate what I do and that I will go to the ends of the earth to figure out what's going on with your horse and get everyone involved that we need to get involved, whether that's the vet or a body worker or um, a farrier or get another trainer's opinion or whatever it is. And um, I've had a few of you reach out to me, like it just all in one week within a couple of days telling me um, how thankful you were for me and my approach and my willingness to really stick in there and get the full puzzle solved. And um, I do try to really keep new and fresh information coming into my program all the time. And you guys really all made me feel very seen and appreciated this week. And um, I just, I have so much joy in my heart at that you are all part of my journey. So Thank you so much for um, verbalizing that. And I think there's something about appreciation. And this is something that I really struggled with for a long time, making sure that everyone around me felt appreciated. I was just kind of in my own little bubble, not really thinking about anyone else. I was just kind of, this is my to-do list for the day. This is my stuff I have to get through. And I was just kind of getting through the day. and. I was losing out and missing out on some of that human connection. And I think that being in the horse world, that can actually be a really easy thing to do because a lot of us really prefer to just be around our horses (laughs) and we have to like learn how to do this people thing. And um, I've always really had a love and a heart for people as well. But, you know, people can be harder than horses (laughs) to get along with and to interact with. And it just, it can be hard and conflict can be hard and trying to manage everybody's processes and the way we all hear each other and manage how we're coming across, you know, all that can be hard. 
And it's been a real intention that I've set over the last couple of years as I've grown in my awareness about mental health and my own mental health and then recognizing when other people aren't quite themselves and that it's not a personal thing back on me. It just is a reflection of them going through their life and experiencing their struggles that they're experiencing. That can that can be just a reflection of, uh, or their reaction can just be a reflection of kind of their state of mind and state of circumstances at the moment. And once I started figuring that out and peeling that apart, I really set this intention of when I'm around my clients and I'm spending my hour lesson with them or any little interaction that I have with them around the barn, I really want them to know that I see them. I see them to whatever extent that they're willing to be seen at, right? So we all have our little things that we put up guards around us and we put up walls and we only show certain people so much about our, what's going on in our minds and our hearts. And, you know, that's fine. We don't need to be like sharing everything with everyone, but, um, I've gotten to the point that I know so many amazing people's stories. And, um, I just, I feel privileged and honored that they've been shared with me. And I, I want my students and really, it's not just my students. I want anyone who I touch throughout the day that I'm going through life with, whether it's somebody in the grocery store or it's, you know, some random person, um, like at the feed store, like whatever it is, I'm just really trying to work on my human connection. And my intention is that everyone that I interact with feels seen. So at whatever level or extent that is, it doesn't mean that we have to get in this huge long conversation about their entire life story. It just means that like, thank you for what you do. I see you. I appreciate you and move on because we all can get so isolated. And especially after COVID, I think, well, especially during COVID, we all got super isolated and then we're all like coming back trying to figure out how to like be human beings again (laughs) and interact with people. And I had so much social phobia for the longest time that I really never learned how to do this properly, especially when I'm removed from my comfort zone of being out at the barn. So my challenge is more like out in public or if I get put in like a forced social situation where I'm, you know, somewhere um, around a bunch of people that I don't know. So I'm just really trying to set this intention of every person I interact with throughout the day I want them to feel seen. And I just want to thank you guys this week. You all made me feel seen. And I just, I really needed that this week. And so thank you so much. And keep on doing that good work because when people in our lives feel appreciated and heard and understood and seen, the world gets a little bit better each and every one of those interactions that has like this positive ripple effect throughout um, our little communities. So again, thank you for that. And uh, today's episode, I'm going to start off by reading one of my previous blog posts, and then I'll kind of expound on it a little bit. This one is called Stress Transfer, and it starts off like this. One of the marks of a good horseman is the ability to be self-aware enough to know when a horse's behavior or excitement or whatever else is coming from the horse, the environment, or 
coming from the energy you're projecting. So it can come from one of three things, either the horse itself and their outlook on the world. It can come from the environment, whether there's been a change in the environment, what the other horses in the environment are doing, um, you know, whatever, something surprising happened, or it's just a new place. Everything's um, making the horse feel unsure. Or it can be coming from the energy that you are projecting at the horse. So if you're holding a level of tension in your body, if you're holding your breath, if you're having anxiety, if you're not present, if your thoughts are spinning at 5 million miles an hour, all of those things can contribute to your horse feeling anxious, afraid, unsure, unconfident, okay? It's so much easier for us to blame the horse for the issue or the inconsistencies in the behavior or being amped up so much and so much harder to take an introspective approach to make sure that you aren't contributing to or causing the problem. So sometimes things just happen and get so big and it happens so fast that it's actually super triggering for us. And then it's like, which came first? Was it the chicken or the egg? Did the horse get amped up first or did we get amped up first? I know we've all felt that feeling when a horse gets tense or spooked suddenly where it's like if you can feel the adrenaline coming off the horse when you're on it, right? Like they get a little bit taller, their head comes up, their eyes get big. You can feel their muscles under you getting super tense. And I always say it's like, you get this like little tingle up the back of your spine <laughs> that like then is your adrenaline getting dumped into your body. So now we're both on adrenaline, right? So it's like, which came first? Was it the horse that got on adrenaline first and then triggered us? Or did we come in and we weren't super present? And then that in and of itself made the horse feel insecure to where they had to be more on guard in the environment, looking for the threat, trying to figure out if you're really there and keeping them safe or not. A lot of times we don't realize that spooky behavior can be the horse trying to get us to check back in. Or actually, I shouldn't say it that way. It's just a symptom of the horse realizing that we're not checked in. Let's say it that way, okay? So when a horse is really spooky, it can just be because they're underexposed, right? But it can also be because they feel like their rider isn't paying attention or doesn't have the tools or skills that they need to help that horse feel safe in that environment. So then the horse takes over. Spooking is a way that a horse is actually trying to take the leadership from the person because they're saying, my human is not able to keep me safe. My human is not aware enough of what is going on. My human doesn't have the skills. My human doesn't have the balance, you know, whatever, to make me feel safe. So I'm going to be on guard and paying attention to my whole environment and making sure that I'm okay because there's just some component there of the relationship that the horse feels like the human is not does not quite have their back. So this isn't like a dog runs into the arena and you have a one big spook kind of situation. Like those kind of things are like a sudden startle. I'm talking about like you're riding a horse around the arena and they're like spooking at everything. Like they've seen the tractor 8 million times in the corner and they are still spooking on it 30 minutes later. That's more of a relationship breakdown between the horse and the rider. And again, I like to keep the full picture in mind. I'm not trying to put blame anywhere. 
and make anybody feel disempowered. But I do like to look at the full history of the horse too. Did this horse ever feel safe with any of its humans? I mean, a lot of us buy horses midway through their life where they already have a training history and a relationship history with other people. Maybe they've always felt really insecure with everyone. Maybe there's been some big holes in their confidence that never got addressed. And this has just been their experience. So they just know as soon as somebody gets on their back and tries to ride them around in the arena or out on the trail or over obstacles or whatever it is you're doing, that they're just going to be afraid. They just know that they're going to be afraid because they've always felt afraid in those situations. And so now you just have like this hamster and the wheel thing going on in their brain. And they're like, I better be thinking faster than my human's thinking because I never had a human really make me feel safe and secure in this situation. So just some things to think about. There's a lot that can go into this when we're having trouble with our horses. Where is it all coming from, right? So back to the blog. I had a lesson this week with a student that was going through a lot in her personal life right now. Plus, she had a crazy day leading up to the lesson. I rode the horse before she did, and I had a fantastic ride on it. As soon as she got on the horse, however, he just wanted to jig and lope and go fast. He had no ability whatsoever to settle, and it was only with her on him. When I was on him, I didn't have any of these problems. And she was able to sit there and recognize that she was producing this kind of, I call it electric energy, this stress energy, right? That she was just internalizing a lot of her stress because it was just one of those, you got to just put your head down and get through it situations, right? Like there wasn't time for her to have her meltdown. (laughs) That hadn't happened yet. We all have to have like, I'm like a person that when I go through stress, I always have the meltdown after the crisis because it's like, We've got to get through the crisis. And um, she's very much the same way. So her body hadn't exhaled yet. So she was feeling to the horse as this kind of energetic time bomb, right? And she was able to recognize that she was producing this really electric energy. And in my opinion, she was practicing a lot of emotional control and determination to even have her lesson that week and not reschedule me. So as another human sharing the interaction for an hour with her, I only knew she was stressed out by what she chose to share with me about what was going on, right? So if she hadn't shared that, I might have been absolutely none the wiser of why her horse was acting this way, which can be really confusing from a training perspective because it looks like nothing, right? It's just like I was on the horse. It was great. All of a sudden she was on the horse. And then you can go down this rabbit hole of like, what are you doing with your legs? What are you doing with your seat? What are you doing with your body? Are you holding your breath? You know, and it's like you start going down this checklist of all the possible things that she'd be doing to cause her to be a little bit zingy to this horse, right? And it wasn't any of that at all. And the right answer for her that day was for her to just get off the horse and ride a different day. Some horses are much more sensitive than others, right? Some horses are like these emotional sponges, and it doesn't matter what kind of energy you bring at them, they are just going to soak it up and become like this energy sponge and kind of buffer. They're not going to give you like the real feedback of how you're making them feel. They just are kind of stoic, 
And they're just like, I'm just going to deal with it. And that's that. Okay. Other horses are super sensitive and more insecure. And so when they feel their leader has this unbalanced energy to them, the stress energy, it's going to be reflected in that horse. That horse is going to pick up on that stress energy. They don't know what you're stressed about. They don't know it's something that happened to you earlier that day. They don't know that your friend is going through a really scary diagnosis. They don't know that you just are like had a whole bunch of people laid off at your job and you're worried that you're next. They don't know that that's where this is coming from. All they know is what's happening in the moment with you and them and how you're making them feel. So they think that all of a sudden their leader is feeling really stressed. And what happens in a herd of horses when the lead horse gets stressed? All of the horses mirror that stress, right? They all get on alert. They're all looking for the danger. That's just been put into them through time into their nervous systems to all work together as herd animals to stay alive. That's how they've stayed alive for a very, very long time. And no matter how much breeding we do and domestication of horses we do, they will always have that fight, flight, or freeze stress response hardwired into them. And it will always be triggered by emotional and energetic instability from us, okay? They need you to be their emotional and energetic anchor. And when you can't do that, when you can't be the one that's more grounded, that's really thinking clearly, that's less reactive, that's calmer, that's free, doesn't mean that you have to do everything soft and slow and creepy. That's not what I mean. I don't mean that we need to like sneak around our horses and be these quiet people. That's not an anchor. That's being sneaky. Sneaky energy is also a very triggering energy to a horse. That's like what a predator energy would be, right? Predators are very sneaky like that. And we don't want to ever project to our horses that we are more of a predator. We want to kind of be this neutral party in the situation. So it's important that we have the awareness to know how we're coming across to our horses and also have that willingness to check in and see, hey, I'm getting this feedback from my horse. He is acting really different today. How am I doing actually? Like, am I holding on to something that's been unresolved? Do I have like some crazy thing happening in my life that I've been stressed about and I haven't really taken a minute to breathe yet or cry yet or, you know, like whatever it is that needs to happen. I haven't done that. And instead you find yourself on your horse and nothing's going the way you want it. And then it's just one more really triggering thing for you that's not going right in your life. And that's super unfair to the horse, right? Because they didn't create any of that. They didn't create all of the things that led up to this point in time where you were more easily triggered, more easily frustrated, more easily anxious, more, yeah, you already came in with all this unbalanced energy anyway. Your horse reflects it back at you and you don't receive it very well. And then what happens? Then we get even more predatorial, right? We start digging our spurs in. We start jerking around with our hands. We're like, what is wrong with you, horse? Why are you acting this way? Like, I just wanted to go for a nice calm trail ride today. And the reality is it's kind of hard because I think a lot of us see the barn as kind of our solace and our escape from reality. 
And many of the times your horse, instead of being like, oh yeah, sure, I'll just take that. I'll be your emotional sponge for the day. Let's just go out on this trail ride and you can feel all reset and everything will be good after we do this. Instead, they just hold up a mirror at you and they're like, this is you today. <laughs> like if they could have a little thought bubble and this is like super anthropomorphizing them. So please just take this as an illustration. But if they could just hold up a thought bubble and be like, Look at yourself, take a minute and figure this out before you come back to me and try to engage in a conversation with me, right? Riding a horse is the conversation. Having Doing groundwork with your horse is a conversation. Pulling them out of their stall and putting them in the cross ties is a conversation. Every single interaction you have with your horse is either adding to the relationship or taking away from the relationship. There's no in between. Okay? It's either a plus system or a minus system. Or at the you know, at the very least you could just do no harm. So when I find myself in these places and it happens, I have some horses that this happens with me more easily than others. My mare Sedona used to be extremely triggering for me. It was a very tough time to have a very tough horse because I had was going through a mental health crisis when I bought her, actually. So I buy her as a long yearling. I bring her home. She's pretty spooky and reactive, but like nothing like that you wouldn't expect from a horse that hasn't had a lot of handling, right? Well, then um, I had her for, let's see, about a year before I had my full mental health breakdown, before my um, psychiatrist was able, before I was ready to admit that I needed to go see a psychiatrist who then later diagnosed me with bipolar disorder, which explained so much of my life. But I was like in this kind of death spiral for a long time before that diagnosis was finally reached. And I had this mare who was like my dream horse that I was so excited to get. I had spent a lot of money on her as a yearling, in my opinion. I felt like it was a lot of money. And it was all just like hopes and dreams and a prospect, right? As a yearling, you don't really know what you're going to get. And she was fabulous to start for about 30 days. And then after that, she got to where you couldn't even get near her with a saddle. Like you try to saddle her and she would just flip out. I mean, she was flipping over backwards. She was pulling back if I tried to tie her up. If I tried to have somebody else hold her, it needed to be somebody who was really competent because, like, she would take off bucking like no other as soon as I got the cinch tightened up. Um, Just, like, and it was, like, day after day after day after day. It didn't matter how many days in a row I did. It only got worse if I did more days. If I gave her a break, she was kind of better when I came back, but it was just, like, I never seen anything like this in my entire career. I hadn't had a horse that I felt like I couldn't start. And I had some help starting her too. I had an assistant trainer at the time, Beth Olson, who was out there helping me start Colts. And she was the one who put the first rides on her. And then it was like, after I took her over, everything fell apart. So I was questioning like everything. I'm like, should I even be starting Colts anymore? Like, do I even know what I'm doing? Like, this is like crazy. How can this be so hard? And... In the meantime, I have this like mental health mess that I've not dealt with. So I've got all these little gremlins and demons in my mind that are like 
telling me all of these things and making me believe all this stuff about myself that wasn't true. And my confidence was shot. So then it was like this vicious cycle. Then it was like, okay, I'm going to regroup. I'm going to try to strategize and think about this. I'm going to go back and I'm going to have another lesson or session with Sedona. I'd get her back out, try something a little different. It would go horribly wrong. And I would just spiral again. It was extremely triggering to me. I had no neutral energy or grounded energy whatsoever to offer her. And she, at the same time, had no grounded neutral energy to offer me. Like she was a direct reflection of my state and actually turned out to be an amplified reflection of my state because after battling through this off and on, giving her some time off, trying again later, for over a year, um, I finally had her ultrasounded. And actually, Rhonda Martin gets the credit for this one because I had her come out and watch me saddle her. And she looked at me and she's like, this is not normal. Like, this is this is something, like, something is wrong. And she told me that she thought it was like a hormonal thing. And so I had her ultrasounded and lo and behold... We take a look at her ovaries and she has these huge follicles on her ovaries that is like basically like having a cyst on your ovaries. I don't know if any of you ladies have ever had that happen. It's incredibly painful. If you can imagine having a saddle strapped to your back and somebody try to ride you while you're feeling that way, you would be acting extremely wildly as well. I mean, like, I don't even know how to put it. Like she wasn't really aggressive, like trying to attack me or anything. She was just trying to get away from me all the time in a very extreme way. And like, no wonder. So once we got that addressed and got her hormones balanced and right around the same time, I got my mental health help. Then we were able to come back together after all of that got resolved and actually work together. But it was still really hard because I had all these memories of her being extremely dangerous. I mean, just like it was so bad that I could not get her out when anyone else was at the barn because I was worried they would pop out at the wrong place at the wrong time and she was going to run over someone. I mean, it was just like so much horse going everywhere so quickly. I couldn't really control all that all the movement was happening at any given time. So I had to make sure that I was like there with one other person that knew what was going on and knew how to stay out of the way. Otherwise, I couldn't have her out. But I had all these memories of that, right? And I had completely lost my confidence. She never did buff me off or anything because I was smart enough to not get on her while she was like this, which was another hit for me as a trainer, right? Like I'm a professional. I bought this horse like she's two, three years old, I'm supposed to be riding her. Like I I had all these plans and things I was supposed to be doing and I was going to show her and do all this stuff. And all my trainer buddies were like, Hey, how's it going with that horse? And I'm like, Oh, (laughs) it's not going, it's not going at all, you know? And it was just, it was really, it was a really hard time to, I, I just felt like such a failure. I felt so embarrassed that I couldn't figure this out. And, um, I was not about to crawl on her because I could just tell that I was going to get super hurt or she was going to get super hurt. And, um, I think it was a John Lyons book that I read as a teenager. And he talked about if any training method gets you hurt or the horse hurt, it's not a good training method. And it was just part of a section of one of his books talking about how you test out training methods and how you decide if it's something that's going to work for you. And that's always been something that's stuck in my mind. Like if it's going to get you hurt, like 
we can't always predict that, right? Like freak things happen. But like if you really feel like there's a high likelihood that you're going to get hurt trying to do something with your horse or that your horse is going to get really hurt trying to do something with it, you need to figure out another way to do it because it's not worth it if you or your horse gets hurt from just trying to teach them again how to get along in this human world, how to be ridden, how to be saddled, how to be cross-tied, how to be trailered, how to, you know, like whatever it is, figure out a different way how to do it if you or your horse have a high likelihood of getting hurt. So when both of us were feeling better and I came back to working with her again, I had to really fight hard to be in the present. And amazingly, she was super forgiving about all of the things that I had put her through just out of ignorance of not realizing what was wrong. I should have not been trying to work her while she was feeling that way. But again, I didn't know what it was. And everything was a fight. Like her being standing for the vet was a fight. Her standing for the farrier was a fight. I mean, everything was just a huge fight. And once her, we put her on Regimate for uh, a little under a year. So she's not on it anymore, but it was just enough to like give her that hormonal reset. And once she was on the Regimate, it was like none of this stuff ever even happened as far as she was concerned. She just acted like a green horse, right? And like rightfully so, because I hadn't been able to do much at all with her. But I still saw in my mind's eye that out of control, very overreactive, very dangerous, flighty horse that might flip over at any time or might go off into a bucking fitter at any time or might run me over at any time. And crawling back on her the first time after she had had 30 rides and then like a huge gap and me having to you know get the courage up to get back on her again even though I knew like I'm checking off my checklist she's now letting me saddle her she's now letting me um do the groundwork with her she's accepting every single thing I'm doing she's giving me no red flags it didn't matter my mind's eye still remembered how dangerous she used to be. And I could not have been any more scared getting on her after that period of time than if I just like crawled on the back of a tiger and it was trying to eat me. Okay. That's where my like primal brain was. And it was this really hard balance to get my confidence back with a green horse who was not an energy sponge. Okay. Like she was good, but she was not going to just like completely ignore the energy that I was projecting at her and how I felt to her. And I know that I was coming across really scared. And like, how can you follow a scared leader, right? When the horses, their first thing that they're always looking out for is their safety. Their safety is the number one thing. They need to feel safe because that is their survival instinct. Do I make her feel safe if I'm getting in the saddle and I'm scared out of my mind? No, I'm not making her feel safe. I'm making her feel like maybe there's something to be worried about, right? So I had to really look at myself and process through my fear. And for any of you that have lost confidence on a horse, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Most people lose confidence on a horse because they come off of their horse at some point or they have like a near fall like where the horse spooks really bad or bucks or does something that really unseats them and they realize, oh my gosh, that could have been really bad. I could have fallen off. Or they actually do end up falling off. And 
our brains are wired for survival as well, by the way, <laughs> not just our horses. So then we go put ourselves back in a situation where we're on a horse again and our brains just like have this like replay loop. It's almost like I've had some times where I've been thrown and then lost my confidence and come back and it's almost like a flashback. Like your brain plays this movie in your head of exactly how it went down. You remember how it felt as you're being flung through the air. You remember how it felt as you landed on the ground. And it's like this trauma just like replays in your mind over and over and over again every time your horse like tenses a muscle or flicks a fly or has a sudden like startle. Like our horses aren't going to get to the point where they just never spook at anything. Like they're, they're flight animals. We are riding flight animals, right? So there's going to be these little spooks. There's going to be these little things. And we have to learn how to manage our energy as they are projecting their energy, right? Because they're just going to give us honest projections of how they feel at the time. Your horse doesn't spend time in his stall or in his pasture between sessions and listen to self-help podcasts and try to figure out how they can like help their rider out by managing their energy better and being the emotional anchor. No, that's on us. That's why we listen to this stuff, right? We have to be the emotional anchor for our horse. So it'd be really hard because the thing was my confidence was super conditional with the fact that I could be on any, literally any other horse. Didn't matter if it was broke or not. Didn't matter if it was really easy to ride or not. Didn't matter. I could be on any other horse and I did not have a confidence issue. But if I was on her, my brain was playing this feedback loop to me of just like, or this video loop in my head of just like, this is what could happen. This is what happened. You saw this. You saw this happen. You experienced this. You knew how this felt. You know how unsafe she was. You know she's untrustworthy. And I had to do a lot of work to just like, a lot of times when I'd get on her, I would just pretend in my mind I was on a different horse. <laughs> I would pretend I was on like the most broke horse in the entire world. And I would try to picture that in my head and really focus on that and think about that and just ride her as if she was just the mo most broke horse ever that I could be relaxed on. And I also did a lot of getting on her and getting off of her, getting on her, getting off of her. Was that for her? No, actually, she really didn't need that. She would have been fine. Like if she had somebody more confident, just get on her and ride her around. And I, you know, that's another option. I could have had a trainer friend come out and ride her, but there was something about this. I think just with everything that she and I had been through that I really felt like it needed to be me. Like for me, it needed to be me. For her, it could have been anyone. doesn't really matter. But for me, I needed, because I had felt like such a failure on not being able to figure her out. And then we finally figured her out. I needed the success of completing the full process on my own. I just needed that. Um, that's not something everyone needs. That's not something that I'm saying you have to do. I'm not saying that you're a failure if you don't approach it that way. But just for me, I needed that. I kind of just needed this like I was building myself up. I was coming back after my mental breakdown. I really needed this to be my creation, something that I put together, something that I fixed, something that I conquered. I needed that like just for my confidence as a human being at the time. And so I would get on her and then I would feel those stress hormones get dumped on me and I would deal with it for a minute and then I would get down and we would do some more groundwork and maybe I would put her away that day, you know, whatever. And I would ride her for literally like 15 seconds. 
And then the next day I'd get her out and I would get on her and I'd ride her for 15 seconds. And then I'd start, you know, feeling the tingles up my spine. Not that she was doing anything. Again, this is very different if you have a horse that's actually reacting and you have a confidence issue. Like this is purely a confidence issue on a green horse which was causing her to get a little bit rattled when I was rattled. Okay. It wasn't anything that she was like, she didn't have any big holes in her understanding or her training that were causing her to be lost or really insecure. It was just purely how I felt to her. So, you know, we'd both get a little bit stressed and anxious and tight. And then I would get down (laughs) and we would do some groundwork until we were both calm. And I would do my breathing and I would keep picturing that I'm working with any other horse on the entire planet except for this one, right? And then I would get back on her and we'd ride around a little bit. And over time doing this, my brain was able to release that fear that this horse was going to get me seriously hurt. I was able to prove to my brain that, hey, I got on this horse and I lived and I bet I can do that again. And I, there was a book that I read, um, quite a while ago when I was a kid, I had this border collie named Sam and I wanted to teach him how to do dog agility. And I was really, I've always kind of been an outside the box person. I have a hard time following other people's training methodologies. (laughs) Um, I was like that in school too. I mean, it was just like, I wanted to do everything my own way. I really had a hard time just be like, Oh, somebody else might have this experience. It could show me the shortcut as in not the shortcut, like shortcutting the process, but like, just show me the process. So I don't have to take the long road of rebuilding the reinventing the wheel and figure out the process for myself. No, I wanted to reinvent the wheel every single time. So I was reading this book on dog agility because I wouldn't go to my local 4-H club and do the dog agility with the rest of the kids. Cause I figured I could do it better. <laughs> so that's just, that's just my personality that I've contended with my whole life. So I wanted to bumble around and figure it out for myself. And I remember on one of the things I was talking about ball drive on dogs and how to like keep your dog wanting to play fetch with you and really engaged in that process. And one of the things was you throw the tennis ball and you make sure that every time you're very careful to not overdo it. Like if you throw the tennis ball to the point that the dog's just totally exhausted as you're trying to build this ball drive in the dog, that they will get to the point that they're like, oh, I don't know if I really like that tennis ball so much anymore. Like they start associating it with being really worn out. It's not as fun. So you always want to put the tennis ball away when the dog's like still super engaged. Like they're still like, I still want the ball. I still want to play fetch. I still want to be engaged with you. Okay. It's actually really similar when you're rebuilding your confidence. So If you can dismount when your mind and your whole body's like, oh, I'm starting to actually enjoy being on my horse again, and you get down, you have that like, that was like the most amazing experience. I felt safe. I felt confident. I felt like I felt successful. If you can get down in that moment and put your horse away, it really helps to reset all of the fear and anxiety and everything that's built up in your mind and your body. I mean, we hold that in our bodies too, right? Like in our, or in our posture and in our muscle tension and all of that stuff, it all gets mirrored into like our whole selves on a physical level. So it's important to give yourself like a taste of the success and not go, oh, I'm going to do that one more time. 
Like, I think we've all felt that, like, I'm going to go over this jump one more time. That I did that as a kid, and I literally ended up in the hospital. <laughs> I had just jumped, like, a whole uh, bunch of jumps, and I was, you know, very new at it. And, again, I didn't have a trainer because I like to do everything myself. And I had jumped a bunch of jumps with my horse, and I was like, oh, it's, I've had the best day. I've had the best ride. I'm feeling so confident. I'm going to do one more. And it was that one more jump where he bucked me off and gave me a really bad concussion. I was wearing a helmet. I still got a very bad concussion. Thank God I had a helmet on. And uh, and it's like, think about that. Like, that's an extreme example. But think about that and what that did to my confidence as a kid, right? Because I was not able to get back on. I lost consciousness. So that wasn't like, oh, just get back on the horse and help reset, which that's like a conversation for another day of whether that's actually helpful or not after you fall to get right back on the horse. I think we've all been taught that. Um, but, you know, like I had to go in an ambulance to the hospital and get checked out because I had had such a bad fall. And so then my brain's processing this physical trauma that happened to me and associating it with jumping. And it took me several weeks before I could get back on a horse. I looked like I'd been in a really bad car wreck. Like I, and that's kind of what I felt like, like, everything hurt. I was bruised everywhere. I didn't break anything, which is amazing. But, um, you know, I had weeks of my brain being able to replay that trauma in my mind over and over again, and really solidify that fear of jumping, which I didn't really have before that accident happened, but I sure had it after. Right. And if I had just quit, and again, this is an extreme example. There was a lot going on with that horse that caused this all to happen. And I'm not saying like, if you just try to do one more thing, you're going to end up in the hospital. But um, if I had not said, oh, I just want to do one more jump. This is feeling so good right now. If I had just quit on the, this is feeling so good right now. I'm on such a high note. That maybe might've never happened. Okay. And that horse was one of those horses where he just kind of had like a timer on him of like, I'm willing to put in this much effort and then that's it. And I crossed that line with him. I didn't know where that threshold was. I didn't know. I didn't have the tools to be able to expand his work ethic. I didn't have the tools to investigate if there was something physical going on with him that was causing that to happen. Like, I didn't I didn't know the questions to ask um, on the behavior. I just thought, you know, a horse is a horse and this just happens sometimes, which is something that I have learned to not accept as a truth um, as I've gone through my career. Uh, horses... Yes, horses are horses and things will happen. But when there's patterns of behavior, there is always a root cause. It's just whether you are willing or able to dig and figure it out. So my point being, back to the border calling the tennis ball, I feel like I'm rambling a lot today, so bear with me. But my point being, as you're gaining confidence or as you're helping your horse to gain confidence, if you can quit as you and your horse are feeling like, oh, We've got it. This is great. This is feeling really good. And just like dismount, just dismount and put the horse away. If confidence has been an issue for you or your horse, dismount, put them away. I don't care if you came out, if you drive an hour to come out to the barn, you know, I don't know how close you guys have your horses to each other. So like, or to your home, but usually like an hour is like the longest somebody drives out to a boarding facility to ride their horse, right? So I don't care if you have an hour to drive to the barn and you spend most of that time grooming your horse, doing groundwork, and then you ride for five minutes and you put the horse away because you felt successful. Nobody says you have to ride the horse for an hour. Who says that? 
right? Like that, everybody says that, right? <laughs> so, but like, who made that rule that you have to ride for a half an hour or an hour every time you come out to ride your horse? No, you have to ride to the point that you feel confident and successful. Or, I mean, like I said, with Sedona, I would get on and I would feel really triggered. I wouldn't have that window of confidence, except for the only part that was helping my confidence was I was on her and then I would dismount before something bad happened, right? So it's not like this is very, this is kind of a fine line, and I want this to be understood. It doesn't work as well if your horse does something reactive, spooky, has to come apart, and you dismount and put your horse away, okay? That's not gonna be an effective road forward. That's going to um, cause the horse to associate that behavior and that feeling with the end of a ride, which you never want them to make that kind of association because then one, it proves to them that their instinct did get them out of the stressful situation. So they were able to rely on their instinct, on their flight response or fight response to get them out of an uncomfortable situation and get them back into a comfortable situation, which is their stall or their pasture. Okay. You don't want them to ever make that association because that is what they do out in the wild by themselves. That's why when you get a Mustang that's untouched, that's how they all act, right? Because they have learned that they spooked away from the coyote and the coyote never bothered them or, or they, you know, jumped over this big ditch and they never got their leg broken or, you know, whatever. Like they've learned that that is the way to survive. So we don't need to ingrain that into them anymore than it already is. But if you are feeling unsafe, it is still okay to dismount. You do not have to ride it out. You do not have to just tough it up and um, stay on the horse no matter what, or the horse wins. You can dismount and do some groundwork and then get back on. And so that's what I would do with Sedona. I would dismount. I would be feeling uncomfortable. I would be feeling like, oh, I don't know if I can handle this. I don't know if she's going to have a come apart. I don't know, whatever. And I would just get down. Okay. I'd get down. I do some more groundwork till we both had calmed down, regained our center, I was able to be more of an emotional anchor, not perfect, but I was able to be more to kind of a, of this baseline um, comfort zone for her and then get back on and ride around a little bit more. I might feel my adrenaline come back up again. I'm going to get down again. I'm going to do more groundwork. Get on and off your horses multiple times throughout a session if you have to. It does not teach them anything bad. They don't make any of those associations that their flight response got them back to safety and comfort because you're still going to keep the conversation going, right? You're going to do your groundwork. You're going to keep that, get that horse re-engaged with you. You're going to help them find relaxation through responding to you, paying attention to you, being connected and hooked on to you. And that's the lesson we want them to learn ultimately, right? Like they find relaxation through leaning on us as a leader. They don't find relaxation through um, going to their own um, nervous system responses and their own instincts to find safety and comfort again. The only way that they can feel safe and comfortable is by relying on us to help them find that safety and comfort again. So I feel like this concept is not one that's taught a whole lot in a lot of different programs, right? And I just want to give you permission to, if you feel like you are bringing energy, emotions into the situation that feels unstable to your horse or feels um, like 
like a fearful energy or an aggressive energy or whatever it is, like whether you're acting more fight or flight, if you're bringing an element into that conversation with the horse that's making the horse feel unsafe and they're holding a mirror up to you that day and showing you like, hey, this is how you're making me feel. Now I'm super insecure. Now I'm going to be acting like a prey animal that you can take a step back and evaluate yourself and recognize, hey, this isn't coming from the environment. This isn't something that my horse is bringing into this conversation today. This is something that I'm bringing into this conversation. And back to my story with my student that had all the stuff going on with her life and got on her horse and her horse was acting like she had this like electric seat, right? And she did like from an energetic standpoint, she did have an electric seat. For her to be able to stop and recognize and have the humility and the experience to just be like, hey, I'm not up for riding this horse today. I really don't need to put either one of us through that. I'm just going to end with some groundwork and we're going to put him away, you know, have a good successful note to end on, or I'm going to have my trainer climb back on this horse and help him feel good about himself again before we put him back. You know, have some strategies of ways that you can do that without feeling like you have to push through a bad ride or put yourself in a situation that you feel unsafe. Or put your horse in a situation where he feels unsafe and you don't have the tools, the balance, the whatever as a rider to be able to help him through that in a positive way to where he's going to learn something good from it. So again, I'm giving you permission to think outside of the box, to do things differently than everyone else is doing, to dismount your horse and all your friends are yelling at you to get back on and just deal with it. Do what you need to do. Your journey is your journey and your confidence is precious, okay? Like it is a super, like I guard my confidence more than my ego, okay? So if I'm riding with a bunch of trainer friends and I'm out on a trail ride and my horse is making me feel that one of us is going to end up getting hurt, I will dismount. I don't care if it's inconvenient for everyone else. I don't care if everyone's making fun of me. (laughs) I don't care if people think that I'm a bad trainer because I've decided that I'm getting down. It's my confidence. It's not their confidence. It's my confidence, right? So, and it's my horse's confidence. And those, I value that above anything else. Like, it doesn't matter, like, what people think or... um, even what I think, like, even if I'm having thoughts go through my head of like, oh gosh, I'm such a failure because I can't ride this horse, like whatever, it doesn't matter. I know that my confidence is more important than any of that. And my horse's confidence is more important than any of that. So I hope that today gave you some ideas and maybe some permission to work through things with your horse in a way that you need to, like whatever that is, you can develop your own plan and you can have maybe an honest conversation with your trainer if that's something that you haven't done yet and talk to them about your confidence and how you're feeling with your horse and maybe see if there's some other strategies that you guys can develop together to help rebuild that picture and put it back together. And just remember, not every horse is going to be an emotional sponge for you. And Even your horse, maybe one day may be this great emotional sponge, and maybe another day isn't going to be an emotional sponge. You know, they're different every day, just like we are. They're not 
I think we expect them to be like the same horse every day. <laughs> That's super not the case. We have to deal with the horse that shows up at that moment in time, right? Just like they have to deal with us as a human who's showing up at a moment in time with all of these other things that have happened before we got to that interaction that day. So just something to think on. Is your horse being an emotional sponge for you or are they being a mirror? Even if your is, horse is being an emotional sponge, I would challenge you to still work on yourself because that is also a coping mechanism that can be a form of freeze or shutdown that they're just like, oh yeah, I've just learned to kind of tune that out, right? Like we've all had um, those people in our lives that bring like too much energy to a conversation and it's all about them, right? Where they just like talk, 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 talk at you and they don't give you any room to respond in the conversation or take your feelings into account or anything like that. And that's kind of how you come across to your horse when you're not managing your energy and your emotions and your mental health. Um, and bless those horses that just become emotional sponges for those people, right? And there are people that need that, that don't have the ability to regulate their emotions, like a special needs person. I've donated my um, gelding Jake to a therapeutic riding school, and that's what he's doing for his living now, right? Is he's dealing, being an emotional sponge for um, youth and adults that can't manage their emotions, or some of them are learning how to manage their emotions better. And he has to kind of be careful about when he holds up a mirror and when he's a sponge, right? Because we need to make sure that he's safe for everyone. So, you know, some horses have that skill set and that ability to read the situation and read whether the person needs a mirror or needs a sponge that day. But for a lot of us, our horses don't. They're just going to be a direct reflection of how we're making them feel. And that's all. <laughs> okay, like they don't have the, the training and um, the emotional regulation taught to them that my horse Jake has by now because he's had like years and years and years and years and layers of training on that. So, you know, just something to think about. I would challenge you whether you have a horse that's more of a mirror or more of an emotional sponge to still take responsibility for how you're coming across to that horse and strive for making your horse the most confident horse that he can be. Strive for making you the most confident rider that you can be and have that be your very first priority in choosing whatever training method or exercise or activity that you have planned for your horse at any given day. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We're going to go ahead and close with a quote. This is a quote from John Lyons. There are only two emotions that belong in the saddle. One is a sense of humor and the other is patience. I'll see you all next week. Have a good one. If you are enjoying my podcast, please visit pioneerhorsemanship.com where you will find the training tips and mindset coaching that I use every day to help my students and myself develop the mental, emotional, and physical skills that we need to become better for our horses. I'll see you there.